Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's installment of The Wonderful World of Wine. I am Kim. I am here with Mark. How are you, Mark? Everything's great, Kim. Good. Good to uh, talk wine with the listeners again today. Yeah, always good to have a chat about wine. And today we are going to talk about a few things that are related to sort of the... I don't know, would you call it the romance of wine, Mark, or some of the, yeah. you know, ins and outs from uh, from the winery side of the business? Something we talk about a lot. I hope our listeners uh, see that as we talk about this story today. So we uh, we found an article that was published in LinkedIn by a gentleman who is associated with a number of wineries who have very recognizable names. And it's entitled Every Bottle Tells a Story. And it's a little bit about kind of what goes into the making of a bottle of wine from start to finish and all of the people that are involved in it along the way. And it is sort of a, I think, a romantic take because sometimes we like to say that, you know, wine is a, it's an agricultural product and, you know, it goes through these steps and like there's science involved. And at the end of the day, it's something that is sold in the market. And so, you know, there's dollars involved. But then there's this side of the story, which is kind of bringing that romance of these are the people who are actually getting their hands dirty and it is their story that this bottle of wine is telling even if it is a wine that there might be a million bottles of it out there there's still a whole bunch of people that went into the making of that wine we talk about this a lot when we talk about wine on the show kim and it's about what is the story it gives you passion to drink the wine when you're sitting with somebody you're sharing a bottle of wine you're probably saying some sort of well i do because we're geeks right kim that we're talking about the story behind the <laughs> wine why did we pick the wine why did someone sell us the wine and then like you said how did it get in our hands you know there's so many things behind it and honestly that's what's used when someone comes to me and says recommend a wine to me, Mark. And I'll say, yeah, and this is why I'm recommending this wine to you. There's some sort of story behind it. And the gentleman was saying, like you mentioned, Kim, the story could be the place, the people, the science. There's so many things behind it to help you learn that wine. And that's why we have so much passion when we're talking about wine, talking about the stories. And we bring people into the show to for our listeners to know their story. A lot for me to talk about when we talk about stories and wine. I'm glad you brought up more than just the people involved because it is for us telling the story of a wine is so much more than the flavor of the wine, right? Because sometimes we just want to talk about, okay, this is the taste of it. It's going to go with this food, the nitty gritty of the beverage that's in that bottle. But sometimes you want to talk about those other things like what is important? What is special? What is going on here that goes beyond just what it tastes like. And I think for people who appreciate wine, it's almost like art or music. You know, there's 
something more to it than just the surface of this is what it tastes like. And yeah, it would be really great with that lasagna that you're having. And I think that that's where the people come in. I think that's where the stories of the history of the region come in. This is like the place where I get kind of geeky about like wine grapes and oh, did you know that, you know, this is the parent of this grape? (laughs) Like this was brought here to America in, you know, 18 whatever. So like those kind of things. And, And I think that's what can get people excited about it too, where it's not just like this wine tastes like this wine tastes like this wine. But let me tell you something else that makes this special. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned people getting excited. I'm, I'm hoping like us listeners and, and people enjoying the wine are looking at the stories behind the wine. And, and I'm thinking it's similar to when we learn what we like for wine, you know, the profile for wine, and it makes you want to dig in a little more. Why do I like that wine? And then you learn a little bit more. Like you say, it could be the grape, it could be the region. And it makes you dive into that story a little bit more. So you become a better taster and a better wine buyer. And I think it's a good way to sort of hone your palate too, because once you know where you like a particular wine from, it kind of gives you a jumping off point. So you can try other things from other producers, you know, and maybe learn their stories too, but you've already got kind of a foothold into a particular place or a particular style or a particular grape variety. Yeah, I agree. I had like a few questions I I had to ask you, Kim, based on stories. First off, do you think that all wines we see have a story, even if that story is just its marketing? Is marketing part of it? Put it that way, sure. I mean, I don't think that it's necessarily what we're talking about when it comes to like a wine that is maybe much more small production or something. But I mean, everything has a story, but some of the bigger ones just might be more generic stories. Yeah, I guess that's where I'm, I'm leading you towards mm-hmm. is what people are seeing mostly for stories. Is it marketing campaign mm. and social media influencing stories or is it the geeky stuff we see? I think it's kind of both. I mean, both of those are out there. Some of it is like completely fabricated, you know, in order to, as a as a marketing thing, like you said, to kind of sell bottles and other things are closer to the reality to the background of the wine. So I think it's um can be hard to like hard to tell for the consumer, like so many things, right? I mean, we talk about this over and over and over again when it comes to our learning how to read a label thing. You know, how do you know that you're getting something that is more genuine? Is that the right word? And yeah, does it matter yeah. to you? I know it matters to you, Mark, but does it matter to the consumer? Yeah. And it's almost like we always talk about things on the label that maybe can lead you to finding the story and the the true stories or what's going on with the wine. It's difficult, I think, nowadays for people to find things about our wine. And, and that was my next thing to you, Kim, is how can a listener find a story about the wine? What do you suggest if I, I'm drinking a wine regularly, but I really don't know anything about it? What do you think is the best way to try to find out the best story behind the wine? I mean, most wineries have websites, so... That's a really good place to start. And then I think sometimes it's interesting to see what wine writers have to say about the particular wine. If somebody has visited there, how the wines have been over time. Have they changed? Why have they changed? Has something gone on with like more than one winemaker? Like that kind of thing. I think jumping into it from the point of view of time can be really interesting, but definitely starting with the winery's website. Yeah. And on the website, usually a well-made websites going to have the about us or the information behind the product. You get good information from that. And how about reviews? You know, find out what someone's saying about the wine. Do you think a wine's review gives you the story of wine? I think some do. 
Some put more of that like personal bit into their review where they'll give a little bit of history, a little bit of backstory about what the winery is all about. Maybe the winemaking team has a certain philosophy or the owner has a certain history in the region or with the grape variety. And that's why they're doing what they're doing. So I think that there is some information that can be gleaned through things like that. I've certainly yeah. seen that a lot with like Italian wineries. Like when people review certain Italian wineries, they'll give you like the whole history. Like this is what the family's been doing for the last 400 years kind of thing. So right, you right. can get a lot of information that way. Yeah. It, it, a lot of times you do see a writer doing a little bit more in the review to give you that little background. I, I think it's a good technique to use when you're doing a review too, to give you that history, you know, what's mm -hmm. going on with this. So overall, Kim, do you think that stories sell wine? My jury is still kind of out on that because that's it's been something that has been talked about for a long time, for just about, I mean, probably longer than I've been in the wine business, that consumers want the story. And I'm kind of a mixed feeling about that because sometimes I feel like it's just what the taste of the wine is. And then other times I feel like you can really capture somebody's imagination by telling that story about the winery or something unique about the the winemaker and uh you know and get them to at least engage with the wine that way so i don't know i've kind of of two minds yeah so you feel the same that maybe people don't care about the story i think maybe it just depends on the person and i'm not a marketing person so i don't know i mean i could just be completely off the mark here and that it is very valuable but i think often it depends on the person i'm glad you mentioned marketing because i'm curious like you someone who's marketing a wine for a family winery versus someone who's marketing a wine for a brand are they trying the same like is a brand you think trying to tell a story or it's trying to think of a story to get you hooked in whereas a smaller winery needs to really focus on the story you know what i mean are they yeah i, I wonder think if it's certainly the on, on the one hand i think it's easier for a smaller winery because they actually have like a unique story to tell along with it. They don't have to make something up. Right. Yeah. And I'm, when I think of that, I think of like Franklin's own La Cantina and Bob and his family winery it has a, a, a tremendous story. Like you go there, you know the story, right? You're, you're mm -hmm. living the story. You're, you're experiencing the story. Yeah. You're touching the grapes. So you're of, doing it all down there. Yeah. So I think people that have a physical winery, you go into a location, that's part of the story. It's helping them more than not knowing, you know, mm -hmm. that type of things mm -hmm. about a wine. And I think that's that, that's actually a really excellent example, I think, Mark, of using the personal story to make a brand be more in the eye of the consumer. You know, in our little community here, because we have a winery, people can physically go there. And I think the story of that winery and the fact that you can go there and you can go there whenever you want because they're so close and you can meet your friends there, like... That part of it is, I think, a really great way of motivating people to buy the product, whether or not it's a style of wine that they might gravitate towards. I think just the fact that it's a local business, it's in our community, and there's something unique and really neat about that. So I think that that is a big part of going to a local business and having that be a part of the community. Let's talk about wine education, Kim. And I had to ask you, without a wine story, would there have been a need for education? Like, 
Yes, it, but I think it would be a little bit more boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was. Yeah, it kind of you know the say. the background and all of that sort of adds the pizzazz to to learning about wine. It's one of the more I think fun things about wine. Right, and we use that all the time when we're doing classes. You work in some sort of story, right? There's be it uh, something uh, you, you find we research ourselves or personal experiences. It, it works into a better education for the wine, I feel. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, you had mentioned briefly about winemakers and knowing the story, because then we saw another story in Vine Pair that what happens when a winemaker sells their name? And a yeah. lot of times, this is a big story to share about a wine. About the when, when a name kind of gets sold? Yeah, when a name's changed, like this is very common for me. Someone will bring up a boss, say, oh, I love this wine. This guy, I've been drinking this guy's wine for so long. And then you tell them, well, that gentleman actually sold out years ago, has nothing to do with the wine. So I, I don't know if I should ruin the story or not. Yeah. <laughs> or, there were a few people that did sell out big names and uh, more popular ones like Mark West, Kim Crawford, uh, Walter Taylor, Charles Shaw. I mean, these are some big names in the wine industry that over time, and, and we've said this story many times, that these people start a winery, start a brand, it starts selling very well, and then people come to them and want to buy it, and they actually sell their name. So many times the story is Mark West had a great story. He made Pinot Noir. He was making 10,000 cases, 20,000 cases, 50,000 cases, and then he sells. So he has nothing to do with that brand anymore. And it's a story that's kind of, I feel people don't, maybe don't want to hear, but a lot of people don't say it because they want to keep the brand. They want you to think the story is still that Mark West is out there making your Pinot Noir. And I just wanted to get a little feedback from you, what you thought about that. I think there is, and it's two things. I think one, the branding of the name is so important that if you were to remove that from the wine, then it's like you have removed a whole lot of the value of the wine because it's not just what's in the bottle, right? It's that people are familiar with a brand and are familiar with what that brand represents. So I think that is a big part of it. But it is really interesting when you think about something that has a singular person's name on it and that suddenly that is no longer associated with that person and it's just a brand. I feel like that there's something a little wild about that. But I, you know, I feel like when it goes to from being that transition to from belonging to a person to just being a name on the label, I actually do feel like the consumer should know that. Whether it matters to them or not, I think is on the part of the consumer, but I think that it makes sense for them to know that. What what the thing that does I think come into play too is that sometimes when that brand has been bought, the quality or the style of the wine can change significantly. Yeah. And for some reason people most of the time don't notice. Mm -hmm. And if they knew the original story and kept following the story. Yeah. yeah. They, if they're they buying would, it for the yeah. romance of that story. And now, now the, the, the second right. chapter of that story is that, hey, this has been sold. You know, It brings us all back. Are people really following the story behind the, especially wines that they're very dedicated to? And if they go to wine, mm -hmm. you know, are they following what's going on with their everyday drinking wine? Yeah. This has uh, certainly happened to me. 
in you know over time with some go-to wines that i had had house wines or whatever and if they got bought and they changed ownership and they changed winemaking and it's like it's just not the same yeah and luckily like we tell the listeners there is a lot of wine out there and there's always something new coming along so it's easy to replace that story, right, Kim? It's easy to move on. Because there create... is a lot out there. Yeah, there's a right. lot of opportunity to try new things and, and find a new favorite wine. So did you use, as far as promoting or selling wine, have you used stories more when you were in retail or when you worked restaurant? I think retail for me. It was easier for me to kind of have that one-on-one with my retail customers then, I mean, for my my restaurant job, it was training the staff. So I feel like there were only so many stories that I could impart to them that they could then impart to the guest. So we kind of kept it a little simpler. But I've always sort of liked the background stories because those are things that I can kind of get excited about. And especially because I'm sort of a wine history geek too. It's like, I'm more about the history of the regions than I am necessarily about the history of the producers. So I kind of get into that part of it a little bit more with people. But yeah, I do feel like when I developed a relationship with people on the retail level, you know, I could get them excited about a particular wine just by telling them like either the background of the winery or like my personal excitement for it. So that definitely helped. Do you think and then my because... own stories, because we make we can also come up with our stories, how right. we, you know, relate to the wine. And that adds, I mean, that's part of the story of the wine is how us, the wine professional, how we have interacted with it. Did we use it at our wedding? Did we, you know, pair it with a particular great meal? Do we have some other association with it? And that adds to that story. And I think the setting plays into that a lot, right? I mean, in the restaurant, you have to tell the staff why they want to recommend it, but the story should be a short one mm-hmm. to kind of get that consumer kind of moving on. Whereas mm-hmm. in a retail setting, uh, you can spend some more time and yeah. really hit those finer points of the story. Unless it's a wine dinner at a, rest- at a restaurant mm. where they, they get into deeper. Right. And then we have to talk about it. Right. right. <laughs> and we want, then we want more background. So wine stories, we've, we've talked about it a lot on the show. And Kim and I are very passionate, passing on stories to you, our listeners. And uh, hopefully next time you pick up a bottle and you're sharing it with friends, you find out a little story about the wine and, and tell each other what uh, you learned about it. And uh, makes a day go a little faster, right, Kim? Passing on the story. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it adds to the enjoyment too. The old, the, like you said, the romance. The romance. The, the romance of wine. It's not just about what it tastes like in the glass. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. For more information about Kim, you can find her at CommonwealthWineSchool.com. For more information about myself, you can go to FranklinLiquors.com. Our program is sponsored by Franklin Public Radio, and you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. So we've been talking about wine stories, and next we found a little article that we thought was interesting. It was top reasons why glass, Kim, should be used for wine, glass vessels for wine. And you're a big history buff, Kim. Why don't we start with why in history was the move made from barrel to glass? And is it still a good thing? Historically. So wine is easier to, well, to age, to transport, to, it tastes better when it's in a container that 
doesn't add a whole lot of flavor to it. So that's why something like ceramic or terracotta or glass is a better vessel for wine because it's inert. So it's not going to add a whole lot of flavor to the wine itself. Oak barrels can be good if they aren't brand new. So we tend to age wines in newer oak barrels so that we can get that yummy, toasty, oaky flavor into the wine. Uh, But for just storage, we tend to look for ones that have been used for a few years. So they're, they're what we call neutral barrels. So over time, lots of things have been used to store wine, like, you know, leather skins and lots of other kinds of oak barrels and stuff. Um, but it was found that, you know, these more neutral flavored things uh, that didn't impart anything additional to the wine were kind of the way to go. And then once glass came about as something that could be mass produced and easily transportable, glass became sort of the thing to bottle wine in. And once we figured out that corks uh, could be made to fit into the top of a bottle, it got even better. So as glass technology had has improved uh, over the last few hundred years, glass has really become the thing to bottle uh, wine in. It is heavy. It's not as heavy as pottery or terracotta. And, you know, wine glasses look kind of cool. So you get to see what your wine looks like. But yeah, glass bottles for the last few hundred years have really been the thing to put your bo- put your wine in. Romance thing too, right? It gets back to the oh, romance of wine. I think partially. I think partially. It's something about I think there's ease. A there's a lot of ease involved. Box. It's easier to make a glass bottle than it is to make a wooden barrel, frankly, especially when you have sort of mass produced glass bottles. And lately, so I think that's part of it. There's been more talk about we should be more sustainable, getting away from glass. Uh, we see more uh, box wines. There's talk now about paper bottles in the wine industry. So this article was saying, well, these are the reasons why we should really stick with glass. And like mm-hmm. you said, it's neutral. It doesn't give off flavors to the wine. It's the it's been noted for hundreds of years the best way to store the wine and age the wine. But let's talk about these five things real quick, Kim. The first thing they mentioned why glass is best for wine is it's recyclable. And they mentioned a number, 80% they said of of glass uh, that is is recycled into new glass. Right. Was that what they were saying? 80 percent of glass that is recycled is made into is for new glass, which I think is very high. A number. That seems high to me, too. Yeah. We I, should probably I, give the caveat that this article, quote unquote, comes from a glass manufacturing company. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> so you, you read exactly what I was thinking. Yes, this was very, very pro-glass for an obvious reason. But they do bring up some good reasons why I think it's a positive to have wine in glass. Yeah. So recycling. And there was a, some big news lately where uh, California just went huge to start recycling, uh, uh, giving people you know, deposits on wine bottles in California, you're going to start seeing soon on your wine bottles, 15 cent, I believe, a deposit. Uh, If you want to save them up, Kim, we can make a road trip to California and get our money back uh, on this stuff. So next they were saying was flavorless and odorless for glass was a reason to use glass. What did it say about other countries said something about you can take with you oh uh contain containers i don't understand what they meant about that about putting into other containers did that make any sense to you so i think what they were saying was that even if you can't bring glass somewhere like to the beach or something you could just transfer it into a different container but i frankly have never known a beach or park that i could 
bring a glass of wine to and right, drink it in right. public. So they might be talking about yeah, other so countries. Once I don't again, know. the glass manufacturer saying, yeah, if you want to go to the beach, yeah, you can still buy a, a wine bottle and transfer it. Uh, but yeah, that didn't really make too much sense. It said best for your health because it's made from pure natural ingredients. Again, the glass manufacturer is really toting uh, this here. Uh, bottle design tells the story. And we're back to story, which we've been talking about, saying the reason you get these fancy different styles of wine bottles because people are into designing uh, different looks of the glass and different thicknesses of the glass. And that gets the other side of that is it's not a sustainable when they're making it thicker or putting extra little things on it. Do you base buying prefer glass, Kim? I mean, it's our go-to, right? Yeah, I mean, I certainly do. Every once in a while, I think a, a bag in a box has its place. Um, same with cans. But I mean, the market is so just still saturated with glass bottles that I think it will take time for those other packaging methods to kind of become a little bit more of the norm. Glass is really great for all of those things that they mentioned. You know, the recyclability of glass, if people recycle it, which they do need to recycle it. Also for the the neutral nature of glass, it preserves it very, very well. But I think that it's got some downsides too. I mean, it's very heavy. It's, you know, not the greatest for the environment to produce and transporting it all over the place does take a lot of resources. But I think it's the best that we've got right now, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Everybody who's aging wine is putting it down in glass. It's in a bottle that's sitting down and aging. You're not aging anything in, in plastic or mm -hmm. box or things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Plastic, I think is, yeah, plastic is problematic because all plastics are air permeable. So you can have wine in it for a small amount of time, but you can't age it and you can't keep it for very long because it will start to have too much exposure to oxygen. And there was a big shortage just after COVID where winemakers were having a yeah. problem. Have you heard anything lately? Is Has that issue gone away? I haven't I heard anything. I think so. It was, there was one particular issue, I think, with the refinery, if that's the right word, in Argentina, I think, somewhere in South America, that there was that was the issue with that. But I haven't heard anything recently. I know one of the wine publications I followed for years, they used to do a spotlight on a wine and then they tell you, you know, it uses this cork, it uses this bottle. Mm. And I was shocked at a lot of the higher end $100 Napa cabs that were using like Chinese glass. And I'm sure they're paying, you know, next to nothing mm -hmm. when they get it in bulk. And a lot of the questions I would ask of the winemakers, I, I would ask them if they had a Chinese glass noted on their text sheets and stuff, if they clean the glass. I was always wondering, hmm. do they blow it out? Because there was a story at one time where there was a lot of particles, not, not only dust, but like leftover shards and stuff from manufacturing because they want to crank it out so fast. Well, and I was shocked at the number. Of, yeah, I was shocked <laughs> at the number of people that they just take them out of the case and load them in the line. You'll see them dumping the glass and put them in the line mm. and putting them on. Some of them have like a little blower, some pump gas into it to get everything out of the air. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen the, um, the yeah, the inert gas pumped in there first yeah. so that you get rid of all the oxygen. But I've never considered that as a, a cleaning method. Yeah, I mean, you, you think of what, what did you see when you were in champagne with the bottling line? Do you see them? We did not, we did not see any bottling. We didn't see no. any bottling going on. I wonder if they rinse them before they, before they fill them there. Maybe. And I did have the same discussion with the uh, distiller one time when I asked them, they sourced their glass. I asked them if they clean it and 
they told me outright no. Yeah. We don't do we don't do anything to and I was kind of I was kind of shocked. Thanks for being honest. <laughs> yeah. No, but th- I don't think people really, you know, think about it, but yeah. I guess there's a lot of products we buy like that that we just we just don't think you know, about it. Use yeah. Them, don't rinse it out and that type was our, of thing. Was our peanut butter jar cleaned before the peanut butter was added? Right, right. <laughs> right. Just something that they, like you said there's all different countries that are, are making this sauce in there. They're transporting this stuff. So yeah, I mean, glass for wine is is the go-to. And uh, I think myself, it's it's more of uh, the romantic story to open a bottle than to unscrew a, a you know, plastic <laughs> Yeah, you still like popping or, the cork, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as much as that is that it's the, the whole glass, you know, it's yeah. the, the vessel behind it. So we just thought we'd tell people uh, top five reasons for glass being best. And we covered stories. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. We are supported by Franklin Public Radio, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Our past episodes are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Wine, wine.